Hello and welcome back to episode four of Behind the Desk with Mark Thomas, the podcast where I meet some of the leading figures in the insurance and insurtech space and bring you insight into their views and opinions on the sector, their career journeys, as well as a deeper look into the actual person behind the desk. In this episode, I bring you another leading insurance CIO in David Germain. David is CIO at RSA and has been with the organization for four years now. In this episode, we talk in detail about David's career, from starting out as a developer to moving into leadership and being one of the only black men in his organisation. He gives some incredible insight into his path through the levels and offers up some great advice for those looking to do the same. We also talk about David's life away from work as a family man with three young boys and how he wished he could have made it as a pro rugby player. David is an inspiring technology leader with an impressive career history and a brilliant story to tell. He's also a genuinely nice guy. So without further delay, let's get behind the desk with David Germain. Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Desk with Mark Thomas. Um, Today I'm joined by David Germain. David, welcome to the, to the, the podcast. I kind of always start off really, as I say, I would have done a bit of an intro, but but never really do it justice. So um, so it would be good to get kind of an intro from you and just uh, tell the listeners kind of what, who you are and what, you, what you're all about. Yeah, no, well, first of all, Mark, thank you for having me on your podcast. Uh, I've heard a lot about it. I've watched some of them, so I'm, I'm really excited to be given the opportunity. Uh, I'd always start by saying, look, you know, I'm a family man. I'm a father of three uh, young boys uh, who are rapidly growing up around me. Uh, I'm someone who's a life learner. I love people. I love learning about different environments, different cultures, different communities. <clears throat> From a work perspective, I'm a technologist. I love working for organizations that are trying to solve some form of problem with a level of technology content and complexity. And I love sort of putting my mind towards that. I love you know working with teams, building teams, and looking for opportunities to sort of build something and sustain it and 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 then grow it. So that's me, you know, family man, interested in people, and love complexity and problems to solve. Well, we're, we'll definitely get into a bit more about the uh, the, the family stuff and the, and and the David, uh, the, the man away from uh, work. But obviously, we know your role at the moment is uh, at RSA. But let's go back to the start, like kind of where you, how you first got into technology, the, the kind of the early days. Can talk talk us through kind of how that that will work. Were you were you interested in it always as a kid, or how how did it work? No, it was all it was all. I I, I thought I was going to be an athlete, right? So so. <laughs> I wouldn't think that now with the size of me, but I thought I was going to be an athlete and, and do something in rugby. Yeah. And through personal circumstance and, and my upbringing, I, I had to work. I had to support my family. I had to help my parents with working. We come from a, we come from a very working class environment. And there was a, an expectation at a young age from my parents, and we'll talk about my upbringing, but there was an expectation at a young age that at sort of 16, 17, you went to work. And... Yeah your education was over. And unfortunately, it's changed now, which is good, especially in Caribbean cultures. But back then, working class roles were lined up for you from probably 15 plus. And I remember my dad was a builder. And I remember being on, you know, building sites with him from 12 onwards, helping him put up scaffolding, right? And thinking, this is not the, the, the world I want to be in. No disrespect to my old man, he's a great man, not with us anymore, but it's not really a role I thought I could do better. So uh, when I realized, I was good at rugby, but I wasn't great at rugby and I was never going to get a professional deal. And And the code had just gone professional. I I spoke to my tutor and career advisor and said, you know, what, what's my options here? Because I'll be pushed by my parents very soon 
to, to have to get a, a job and I won't be able to go through the traditional academic route that most of my friends were going through. And I went to see a careers counsellor and they gave me some opportunities. And and at the time, I you know, IT came up. I like playing games, right? And and I said, I'll, I'll give that a go. I don't think there was any more to it than, than that. It wasn't, it wasn't a grand design to be the next Bill Gates. It was more a case of I need an occupation. I need something where I can grow and develop and I'm prepared to work bloody hard at it as I am with anything I, I, I personally take on. So that's where IT came into it. And actually, I really enjoyed it. I didn't realize I had a, a strong STEM mindset. I didn't realize I was a great problem solver. Nothing above going to grammar school and passing some grammar quali- qualifications and getting the scholarship, etc., led me to believe that I was particularly smart. I was the guy that you know did the exams, you know your homework the night before. I was the guy that revised two days before an exam and scraped through them. It wasn't until I started to really apply myself that I started to realize, actually, I get some of this stuff really well. And I was on an apprenticeship for a few years, which then allowed me to finish my A-levels, et cetera, because the company I was at started to pay pay for these things for me. And I was surrounded by people who were 15, 20, 25 years older than me who were just fantastic mentors, great people, fantastic mentors. And I was brought up in a council-based working-class environment. So all of a sudden be surrounded by professionals, individuals that were a lot more worldly and experienced than I was and and brought me on mentally and brought me on through maturing me at a very early age. So an early, you know, someone in their teens working with someone in their 40s with a, young, with a family, someone in their 50s, 60s who was close to retirement, they showed me how to apply myself in a very different way. So I guess some of the, the, the younger millennials uh, work with now and, and actually developments 30 years ago, development 30 years, because God, I can't believe I said that, but development 30 years ago, you had to be an analyst, a developer, a bit of an architect. You needed to understand databases, right? You don't have to do that now. And and to stay on my apprenticeship, every six months we were assessed. And the apprentices were cut, right? Yeah. So it was a lot it was a lot more meaningful to do that then. Uh, then I guess the scrutiny that people are under now. And and supervisors and managers were really hard, really hard people because errors and defects were just not tolerated. Mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Like how that those uh, the roles have uh, have just become kind of more inch wide, mile deep type roles, aren't they? They're, they're people are a lot more specialist now. Um, so, so obviously, you started in development. Where, where did that kind of transition, and at what point in your career? Because obviously, I know you spent a lot, a lot of time in banking before insurance. Um, where did that transition from from being the, the, the kind of the techie to the to the kind of the leadership and how, and how long in, into the career was that? When you're a developer, you get given a work assignment and you're only as good as your contribution. And I figured out very quickly, if I could take the most complex problems and try to solve them, I'll get on the radar of the senior managers in the, the firm I was working at. And I was fortunate enough to be a relatively decent problem solver. So people were walking around saying, who, who, who fixed that? Who solved that problem? That batch issue has been there for five years. How did that person fix that latency issue? And my name was coming up. My name was coming up. So the senior managers would invite me into their office for a cup of coffee and we'd have good conversations. And I would just ask them really quizzical questions, right? How, you know, how, how do you get into this office, right? You know, I've looked at the banding structures from HR. How do I go through the banding? What do I need to do? What do I need to exhibit? And I was just inquisitive to to learn but i was also inquisitive to earn more money because i could see people who were ahead of me who i felt i could compete with and i wanted to understand how could i get there as well 
So it was solely through in, being inquisitive, being a decent problem solver that I got doors open for me. And then as you do, you start to look at mentors, you look at role models, you look at people that do do great jobs. And I remember in, in the late 90s, I was working with, with a chap and he was the first person of color I'd ever met in a senior management role, ever. And I approached him and I, I said, I'd really like to spend some time with you and have a conversation around your career and how you, and he was a senior project manager. I said, how did you do this? How did you get to this role? And through the dialogue and the conversation, he ended up moving me from my current assignment and moving me into his assignment. And he gave me a, a broad spectrum of roles, everything from, yes, I had to do some development. I then moved into becoming a business analyst. He then moved me into becoming a configuration manager. I then moved from that to becoming a project coordinator. I then moved from that bit uh, to become an assistant to the, to the senior program director. And he moved me around to get a broad spectrum of knowledge around the life cycle of big programs and working with clients. He also made me more polished by taking me client side. So it's at that point I bought my first suit because up until that point I was pen behind the air. You know, I was, I probably look, you know, you could see me more in a lab than you would in front, put me in front of a <laughs> client. And actually even, you know, going in front of a client, I was so nervous and so scared. Keep in mind back then I had dreadlocks down to my, 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 my shoulders. Right. Yeah. So, so early 2000s, I didn't look the way I look now. He took a chance on me and through taking the chance on me, he really mentored me and helped me to improve, you know, improve my home life, improve personally my discipline of reading and listening and then trying to get to a level of etiquette, which was acceptable, acceptable in, in society, to be perfectly frank. Right. We all know we live in a society which can be somewhat prejudiced at times. So he helped me to do that. I mean, on the back of that, several years later, I had to cut my, my hair, but that's a different story. Hopefully we'll get to that as well. So it was through learning, being inquisitive, understanding the mechanics of corporate institutions, how you can get on, looking for sponsorship, working extremely hard to prove myself that I managed to keep on moving and moving and moving forward. And, and I, I was fortunate enough. I never just took a job, right? I always took a job that progressed me in some way, shape or form. Mm. And yeah, it definitely progressed me financially, right? That's always going to be a hygiene in there for most people. But I was more interested in the assignments. I was more interested in the problems I was solving. And I was very fortunate to, to, to get big opportunities at a very young age. Yeah. There's a couple, there's a couple of things in there actually. So, so you, I, I'm probably jumping ahead a, a, a little bit, but I just oh. wanted that I think you're really interested in there because there's actually a lot of people that listen to the podcast are, are, are by def, by definition of the, 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 the size of each grouping of people. Um, a, a lot of them are more junior than, 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 than you are. We'll probably have ambitions to be, um, to be a CIO or CTO or something like that. And actually some of the feedback that uh, I've had already is, is that actually the, the biggest challenge people have is, is actually changing. And we've spoke about it actually before is changing from being that technologist and, and in the weeds of be, being a, being a techie to, to kind of expanding out to be a more of a leader and, 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 and letting go of that, that, that kind of deep technical um, kind of not, not the understanding of it, but actually just being involved in all that all the time. Um, and so what, what you mean, you've obviously done that and, and it sounds like you did it over a, a period of time. So, so what, what, what kind of it, what would you say is from an advice perspective, do, do you see in the kind of the people that you look to hire or future leaders in that type of thing? What, what, what would you, what advice would you give to people that are looking to kind of do that now? Well, if you want to move from being a deep domain expert to, to your point, being a more holistic leader, I think, <clears throat> Don't lose your domain expertise because that's why the company's hiring you. 
right? But what you have to do is add add to it. And and the way to add to it is start thinking about how the company makes its money. Start thinking about shareholders, how they think about the organization. So read read annual reports is always a good place to start. When you join a firm and you get it into your, your induction plan, make sure that you are talking to senior leaders and understanding the problems they're trying to solve. Because normally senior leaders are either trying to make money, save the company money, deal with something profound that's causing customer issues and complexity, or they've got people issues, right? So there's, there's normally a, a pattern in every organization I've worked at anyway, where you can see what those issues are. And read, right? Read, read about industry, read about the sector or sectors, read about leaders and how they've 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 operated in their career. I mean, not, you can't see it, but in this office, it's just Biography City, right? I've got, you know, Robert Iger's biography up there. I've got Ali Barber's, Elon Musk, Mike Jackson, Alex Ferguson, you name it. I've got every type of biography. I just read about people in their lives and what they've coped with and how they've become strong leaders and what adversity they've gone through and how they failed and how they picked themselves back up. So I would always say to someone, read about you know, individuals who you admire and individuals who don't admire, right? Make sure you understand the business and the sector you're in and how it works, how you can compete, what's best in class, how you can outperform. And then, you know, your domain expertise is your strength. That's why we've hired you. So your domain expertise is your strength. Now start to layer on top of your domain expertise other, 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 other strengths you can develop over time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's no, really good, uh, good advice, and and I think um, it's interesting what you say about the 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 the, the kind of understanding what the business. I think that's the thing I hear most is understanding a bit more about the business. It's normally the hardest thing for people in technology. I think to to kind of start start bridging that gap, isn't it? Um, so so I guess that we're, if so we ne- we've now got to the point that you're you're kind of you're at RSA. It's obviously a bit big job, lots of change going on in your organisation, which is fairly fairly kind of common knowledge now. Um, so what what's kind of big on the agenda at the moment for you um, with um, with your current role? Like what what's the what what's the kind of the, the key things that you're 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 looking at at the moment in, in in insurance? Well, we're focused on you know how we continue to grow our revenues by lines of business as with most organizations are. We've just been acquired, as you know. So going through that cultural alignment with a new acquiring business takes time. We're going through a bit of a strategy reset just to understand where, where we are and where do we want to head. You know, we've got a new board now, a new subsidiary board, new executives, new non-executives. It's all sort of reset again. So it sort of feels like I'm, I've just joined a new business, to be perfectly frank, right, with a new set of stakeholders, changing culture, and the new opportunity, and that excites to be fact that excites everyone in the organisation. But what we're going to have to do is be very selective around where we want to focus because we can't do we can't focus on everything. So, from a technology perspective, that means you know resetting the technology strategy, looking at opportunities where we can uh, develop IP and not necessarily outsource as much as we have done historically, and doing what everyone else is doing. Right, you know, I want to focus on infrastructure and moving to the cloud. I want to make sure we're developing the right digital assets end-to-end for the organization and we're exploiting those technologies. I want to make sure I'm building a strong operating model that's sustainable and hiring great talent and giving them great opportunities. I want to make sure that we're, you know, utilizing edge computing, IoT, AI, uh, machine learning, you name it, right? But we use it, we're utilizing it where it makes sense and we're just, we're just not spread betting in the organization. So building out that ecosystem is still important to me. 
I'm proud of what we've done so far, but we can do a hell of a lot more. Mm. And, and, and you mean, I guess moving on from that as well, looking at insurance. So you've been looking at insurance for a few years now. You mean, what what, what do you see is that, you mean, there's obviously been a lot going on in, in, in because of COVID and various stuff like that. But you mean, what what do you see is the, is the kind of the big challenges in the insurance space over the next few years? And, and, and where, where do you see the, the space going from a, from a tech perspective, obviously? I think in insurance, it's always been behind banking, right? And and, yeah. and that's like, it's always been categorized as being, but actually when I say in insurance, we may be behind banking in terms of exploiting the technologies to their to their uppermost, but we're, we're still using the same assets. We're just using them in a very different way. And I think what I'd like to see, every organization is competing for the same market share. And the organizations that will win more market share and win over more customers are the ones with the best product proposition. That's very customer centric. And in order to do that, you need to you know, really strip back your products, understand what outcomes they actually give your customers. You need to think about the services associated to that. And you need to make sure from a technology standpoint, we create an agility and an ease of use and the stickiness which customers actually want. And we all use you know, different products today. I don't know about you, but you know, I use Amazon. It's relatively quick. There's an app. Yeah. I've gone to Google search, it's quick as an app, you know, there's Apple, you know, there's plenty of platforms and applications out there that people have developed. So we need to be no different. We need to get our products and services to a point where they're relatively, you know, quick and easy to use, especially if you're going off uh, price comparison websites, then you're going into an insurer's website direct and you're going through those journeys. It needs to feel really seamless to an organization. So, so, so I don't think there's a huge step change, Mark. I think it's about continuous improvement, getting more insight into your products, making the appropriate changes for your customers to those products and using the right technologies that can exploit it to give you the right level of agility and digitization. Mm. And, and what, what would you say? Because obviously I think um, we, and, and we're going to talk about this again in a, in a bit around the kind of diversity in the insurance space and the technology and uh, as, a, as a whole, but um I think it's fairly common. Um, it might be a bit of a misconception now, but it's cer- certainly a, a stereotype that lots of people in insurance are, are, are not necessarily. We're not attracting the youngest people into um, into the sector. So, what would you what would you say about for, for kind of young technologists or young developers or grads or whatever? That, that I mean, what, why is insurance great to be in? I think it's how a younger generation links itself to insurance. To be frank, right on the on the front of it a premium or a household policy doesn't sound like the most exciting concept to want to generate income against or to want to solve a problem if you're in the technology and engineering space. Well, what do you do for a living? I, I help to sell home insurance, right? But actually, if you take a step back and you think about a, a society point, insurance comes in ha- handy when things go wrong yeah. for your loved ones, for you personally. And I think, you know, what I would ask individuals is to think about the overall concept of insurance, not just you know the policy and some documentation and this nebulous space which you don't really understand. Think about the complexities of generating risk models. That's very complex. Think about data and how you can utilize data to monetize it. Think about developing an architecture and an ecosystem where you're using the, mod- the most modern technologies as, as with any organization, right? And streaming technologies as well. So there's, there's, there's sensory technologies in there there's huge problems to solve and take a step back and think about insurance from a society perspective. And actually you're helping to solve big problems 
you're supporting people and their lives, especially when things go wrong. And if you can build a product that allows you to do that, that's something which you personally can feel uh, proud of um, that you've helped to support. So, so I, I guess I just want to move on. I know we we've spoke about this before, and 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 and, and the, the, those of you that are listening on the the just the pure audio um, version of this and not looking at video, David is sat in. Uh, you call it your cabin? Is it called your cabin? I think you called that's what you called it. It's been called a man cave. It's been called a cabin. I, I'm calling it. <laughs> cabin office right yeah. trying to make it as mature as possible it's my cabin office mark <laughs> yeah so in the background david has got uh six or seven um uh pictures of 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 what i think are, are kind of how would well you describe them how you how would you how would you describe them yeah no i mean look the concepts of this office came through covid um as with most people there was a spike in building these cabins um where people just wanted a bit more space and, and privacy uh, away from the house, especially with kids. I've got three boys, so it's not fair on the family for me to forever be saying, please keep quiet, daddy's in an office, daddy's in a meeting, etc." So my wife, uh, she bought and built this for me. It's got my gym in here as well, which is great. So we've got, we can focus on our, our wellness at the same time. But the concept of these pictures is uh, I come from a, my wife's white, my kids are mixed race. I live in a very small village in the southeast, and what I recognise leaving London is my heritage is important to me and I don't have any other generations that live in the UK anymore. My mum passed away a couple of years ago and and I've got some cousins here, etc. and a niece, but that's about it really. So having icons that I grew up with and each of these icons, you can tell a fantastic story around what they've done, brings a level of inquisitiveness with my kids. So as they become more inquisitive, I give them a book to go and read, specifically the older kids, because the younger ones, they're not going to read these books yet, right? So I can, I can go on YouTube and show them stuff. And I just find it, it, it helps to sort of bridge the gap between heritage, icons, people of color who are icons as well. And it helps my kids to understand their, their dual nationality, their dual heritage. And I want them to be as proud of talking about a white icon as they are talking about a black icon. We didn't talk enough about black icons and I wanted to sort of promote that a little bit more and actually keeping it in the back. I think it's healthy. I, I was a bit concerned about having it so visual, especially when I'm talking to people on calls and I spoke to my wife about that and she said, no, she went, you know what? There's nothing con- controversial there. It's just, you, you know, you're proud of, of these black heroes and you sort of want to, want to show it. So, so um, every, everyone up there in some way, shape or form has left a mark on me and I just want to share that. Well, you mean I can definitely can see Bob Marley in the top corner. So we, we need to talk about that because obviously that's where the the the, uh, the dreadlocks get might it might have come from in the in in the younger years that you were talking about earlier, maybe. So uh, so yeah, there's definitely some there. Yeah, I think it's a really good idea actually. It's um, it's some, I, I can't see all of them, but they um, but yeah, definitely it's a conversation starter as well, isn't it? I think that's uh, that's a, that's a really good point. Having a, a, an 18 month old daughter now, you start to think about those kind of things a little bit more, don't you? Like how how that affects your kids and that kind of stuff. So um. you do, and look, some of them are con- James Baldwin, extremely controversial character back in the 50s and 60s. You know, first you know, first gay man, you know, kicked out of the Bronx, had to go and live in France. Where it was a little bit more liberal, totally focused on. No Black Lives Matter, you know, the, you know what he was talking about 30, 40, 50 years ago, we're still talking about now, which is nuts. Right? Yeah. Martin Luther King, I don't think there's much more I have to say about Martin Luther King. You know, a great one there is Alice Walker, 
who um, she was the author for um, The Colour Purple. If anyone's watched the film The Colour Purple or read the book. And obviously, we, you know, uh, it's interesting when you talk about Bob Marley because when my parents came over from the Windrush, and I remember being in the 80s, and on, on a Sunday, anyone that's reading or listening to this podcast will, will tell you Caribbean families on a Sunday is an important day. So you go to church in the morning, everyone gathers around the kitchen and, you know, we, we cook. And then normally the men would go into the living room and start playing their records, right? Because back then we had record players, not CDs. And, you know, my dad would always play all of his favorite albums and including Bob Marley. And you would just sit there with your dad listening to good music. And, and, and Bob Marley was someone who really was a breakthrough artist to demonstrate Caribbean culture. And it was Jamaican culture predominantly, but it was Caribbean culture as well. Made it more, more receiving, more acceptable. And we started to see people gravitate towards it. And if you look at pop culture and popular culture now, there's a real mm. hybrid of cultures moving forward. Everyone's accepting of each other's cultures now. now. So, you know, his music was inspiring. His music was political in part as well. And as, a, as, a, as an individual, he was quite divisive because he was a Rastafarian and what he believed in from a religious perspective. But also mm. he was very universal in his style and he continues to be that. So someone I grew up with, I look at all spectrums of his personality and his character. Some I, I agree with, some I, I don't. I think that's quite normal to do that with everyone, as with most of the people mm. on, on, on the wall behind me. But um, yeah, they, they've all touched me in some way, shape or form. Yeah, yeah. So, so stay, staying on that, you mean, I, I, I'm conscious of time as well, but like, you mean it, with the... Um... What, what, what's your view? I mean, obviously, we, we have uh, insurance is, is not is known for being, uh, at least historically, I think we're on a bit of a journey and, and certainly making uh, making inroads with, with more women in technology and insurance and, and, and certainly more non-white people being in, in the sector. But what, what, what's your view on kind of where we're at at the moment? And, 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 and I guess more importantly, what, 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 do, what do we need to do? What does the sector need to do? And what are you guys doing to try and try and... Um, kind of re- readdress the balance, I guess. Well, first of all, I think it's, it's having this conversation, you yeah. know, and, and talking about it and, and promoting it and being aware of it and being conscious of it and, and then looking at how you can engineer better outcomes to give people more opportunities. There's also an element of, if it's being diverse, you know, grassroots is important. You have to encourage people to take up topics around the sciences to get involved and allow diverse individuals to want to get involved and not feel it's a male-orientated environment. We've seen that in Formula One recently with more female engineers getting into, into Formula One. <clears throat> we're seeing a declining population of people taking computer science degrees who are female. So we need to encourage we need to encourage that at grassroots or it's not going to change. Or they'll be involved in the life cycle, but it'll be more change management than the underlying engineering um, yeah. disciplines, which we want to encourage. I think the second aspect is on a on a, 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 a an ethnicity or a BAME perspective. There are many, but they're considered at only one certain level, which is the the more problem solving, lower level development level in an organisation. And actually, what I'm trying to encourage is individuals of colour to be ambitious enough to want to become stronger leaders and to develop themselves to become stronger leaders. So when I look at organisations in general where they promote that data. <coughs> a small percentage of senior leaders are people of colour. Yet when you look at the mass population in the company, a high percentage of diverse and ethnic staff sit in lower levels in the organisation. 
So how do you how do you start to bridge that gap? You have to engineer those outcomes. You need to, you need to have the right programs in place, the right mentoring in place. And even as I talk to search firms, I always ask for a good spread and mix of fame and diverse candidates to Caucasian, etc. Candidates, right? So I think that's I think that's important that I can see that spread to demonstrate that we are thinking about it. Searches are happening in a more balanced way, and we're giving people the right level of opportunities. So mm. you have to engineer it, Mark. That's all I can say. We have to talk about it. We have to keep the conversation alive. We need leaders to be challenging and demanding when they're going through recruitment processes to ask for a good spread of candidates. And and I and I think that's the only way we're gonna we're gonna start seeing the world change, not just the UK, but the world change. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, yeah, yeah, agreed. So uh, I, I guess we're com- coming towards the end of the podcast now I, l- I always like to mean obviously that the title of the podcast is behind the desk um we've done a bit of that around the the, the professional side of things but t- tell me a bit more about david away from um uh, uh work and stuff like that obviously we we've covered a bit about music certainly the are you still into the rugby like what what do you what do you do i mean i appreciate you i've got one one baby and she keeps me busy so three three I, i'm sure that's a, a fairly um big part of the of the, the the time away from work but tell us a bit more about that well, away from work, when I get some free time, I'm a coach for my son's under eight son's team. So I, I coach their team with two other colleagues, which is fun. Um, all three of my kids play rugby, which is amazing. And they all really enjoy it. And the club's not too far from the house. So I'm very involved and active in that, in that space. Try to keep myself as, as fit as I can. I think what we've definitely learned through COVID and, and pre and prior that is, you know, health and mental well-being is really important. My natural tendency is I'm an introvert, so I love to read. So all that sort of stuff I just do naturally anyway, but my health and, and building out this cabin and this gym has become quite important. Actually, it's lovely to go for walks with Tracy and the dogs, my wife, and and, and we work out together some days as well, which is quite nice as well. So <clears throat> active outdoors, very much with the kids, with sport. When I get the chance, Mark, I still try to listen to a Bob Marley album or two. Yeah. I remember you saying to me before, aren't you quite into F1 as well? Yeah, I love, love F1 and I recently was invited to a day out with Ferrari a few weeks ago, which was which was amazing. I tried to get to Silverstone when I can. I was at a British Grand Prix early this year, so that was amazing to to to, to go again. And Lewis Hamilton won. I'm a, I'm a huge Lewis Hamilton fan. And uh, yeah, I just and, and it's a Formula One. I love all forms of of of, of racing, and uh, yeah, I do enjoy uh, getting excited. Uh, when I hear the rumble off the engines and, and all that good stuff, right? It's quite an exciting moment, when, especially when they go off the line because you just never know what's going to happen when they go off the line. So, yeah, love love F1 as well. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, cool. Okay, well, look, we're, as I say, we're right near the end now. So I, I asked people um, three kind of c- questions. They're always the same. Um, and uh, and uh, you mean, and then, and then there's a, a, a short quick fire round at the end. Um but um, so the first one is, what is it you love about the insurtech insurance space at, at, at right now? Like, what what is it that kind of keeps you coming back? Has kept you there for as long as you have? You never know what's going to come up next, right? There's green shoots and new products and new services and new carriers and new insurtech coming up all the time. I get, I'm very fortunate. I get to talk to talk to all of them. You get to see innovators and entrepreneurs and creators. And I love that. I love seeing people looking for loopholes and problems to solve and trying to build assets and utilities to work with big carriers like RSA. So the innovation, the entrepreneurship and the creation is what 
I really enjoy about this space. And, and to your point, because we have so much opportunity in insurance to keep on improving, we're seeing more and more green shoots of other disruptors coming up, uh, looking at how they can solve those problems and partnering with big insurance carriers, like I was saying. Yeah. Yeah, great. Um, so the second one is, what? what's the best thing about being behind your desk right now? What's the best thing? Well, it's, it's pretty cold in this office, as I think I told you before the... Before the uh, before started, so I'm not sure that there's too many games at the moment, but look, uh, I'm, I'm, it's, a, it's, it's a privilege to lead any organisation uh, and any team, to be perfectly frank, and I'm deeply humbled and privileged to be given an opportunity to lead uh, sitting behind this desk. I'm honoured to have the team that I have, uh, that I get to lead. And, and we've got some fantastic talent in the organisation um, who challenge themselves to improve personally and then to imp- improve the organisation. I think for me, I'm energised and motivated every day when I get out of bed. I think that's important. And I'm coming into this office isn't a chore for me. It's something which I enjoy doing because there's great people to work with, tough problems to solve. And... Um, as long as I've got that, I think I'll continue to enjoy getting getting up and getting behind this desk. Yeah, that's a great answer. And then the last one, um, and I, look, I promise you I won't answer this question, so it could be anything. What What is the one question I should have asked you, but I didn't? Oh, God. <laughs> I've been exhausted <laughs> with your questions, actually. Um, <laughs> that's the first. You know, maybe something around sustainability, right? <clears throat> I think as a professional in technology, we have a drain on the world, to be perfectly frank, frank right, we're a drain yeah. on the world in the sense of how we utilise energy resources, etc. So I'm very keen to look at sustainability and to understand the organisations we're working with. What are they doing with sustainability? So that's just as important to me as the technology asset itself. Right? Yeah. We, we need to think about this world as we are, uh, you know, we are custodians only for a period of time. And we need to leave it in a better position for the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. And I, you know, as I listen to to more and more people, you realize as you look back at your career, you don't necessarily focus on sustainability. Mm. And I'm in that space now where I, you know, I've got kids. I'm sure they'll go on and have kids. What I do now is really important. So how we live our lives, how we work, how we manage energy resources, what we give back is just as important as what we take. So yeah. maybe something around sustainability. And that's a great question to ask any IT professional because we, you know, like I said, the, the nature of our work, we're building assets. And, and now it's about how do we build those assets to make them more sustainable for the environment? Yeah, 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 really good one. And uh, I might even add that in. That, so listen out moving forward, I'll, I'll add it in. So so then we're on to the th- final bit of the, the, the quick fire round. So it's just a bit of fun, really, just to find out a bit more about you. But um, first one is, what what is the one piece of technology you couldn't live without? Probably my phone. Yeah, it's a common one. Probably definitely. my phone. It's quite right. bad, isn't it? We all, but I would be I, exactly the same to you. Just, the, you know, WhatsApp, text message, an email, yeah. to do a quick search, right? Yeah. Every Checking my, my, my bank account, you know, moving funds around. There's so much on there now to, 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 to be quick and get things done. Without it, I sort of feel a bit hamstrung, which is not good, but I think that's the nature of creating applications and creating an, an ease of use in an environment which allows us to be productive. So I'm accepting of it, but I think there's also a mental mode there, which is knowing when to switch it off and stop. And actually yeah. what I've started to do in the evenings now, it gets to six, seven o'clock, I switch it off and I stop. Yeah. And um, I think that's, that's as much discipline as it is to have all these 
applications and, and, and ease of use uh, devices around us. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So number two is which brand or company do you really admire? I'm a big Apple, big yeah. Apple fan. Yeah. But actually, I, I really, I quite like Netflix. Yeah, right. That's it. I mean, I, that's quite quite like, I, I like what Netflix has done. There's a great book actually by Netflix, No Rules Rules. For anyone that's listening to this, please read No Rules Rules. And and I love their business model. I loved how they started. I love their creativity. I was talking to, um, there's a, a program on Netflix about F1. I don't know if you've watched it. Yeah, I was going um, to Yeah, I was very fortunate to go to dinner with the producer of that program. And I love the way that Netflix innovates. And he, he was a producer. He came with this concept. They went for it. They produced a year's worth of data poster series. And they sort of told him what he needed to focus on for season two because they had all this great data and they thought it was a great concept, but they felt he was missing out on opportunities. And I, I just love the way that they narrate these series. I love the way that they work with producers and directors to give them feedback. I love the way that they're entrepreneurial in their style. You could have a series on Netflix and it's just series one. You never get series two, right? They'll yeah. take a chance, right? So, and I love their technology around how they constantly learn about consumers and what they want and how they build their products and how they you know, build up that content. So <clears throat> seeing them grow over the years, uh, I, I quite like what Netflix are doing right now. Yeah. Well, you've, you've jumped, I mean, the two, you won't believe this. So the two next questions you've kind of answered already, I think. And um, so the next one is your favorite, favorite business related book. And then the next one would have been your favorite film or series. So you can go for film because we know what your TV favorite series is now. I, I, I watch so much. I don't think I've, I've, I've got a, any particular film that I would, I would sort of gravitate towards. I'd probably go for something my wife would like to watch, like Pretty Lady or something like that, right? So, so I, I quite like a rom com. I like yeah. to sit with her and watch a rom com. I, I don't think I, I, I'm, I'm someone that can adapt and watch. Nothing really leaves an underlying viewer. I think I, I want to go back and watch it 15 times. Yeah. Right? My, my son made me watch Fast and Furious nine or ten, yeah. or whatever it is, the other day at, at the cinema, and, and it's something which we religiously watch everyone together. But I got to the point with him where I said, I'm struggling now because now they've decided yeah. <laughs> to strap people in cars with a rocket to the back of a car and they're going, they're going into space. And I said, I'm now struggling to watch these programs, uh, my oldest son. But we will we'll continue. To, you know, Hopefully I'll be an old man and we'll be watching Fast and Furious 500 together with his grandkids or my grandkids. So so no, nothing specific. Rom-coms, I, I, you know, just, just being in a social environment with friends and colleagues watching a movie, be it good or bad, um, is fine by me. Right. And then uh, the last question, David, if you weren't a CTO or CIO, what would you be? I would like to think I'd be a retired England Rugby Union international with over 100 caps, <laughs> won the World Cup, uh, iconic sportsman, and now doing uh, some kind of punditry and getting paid extremes amount of money to do uh, tons of socials and talk to the public about my career. <laughs> oh, that's the dream, definitely. That's brilliant. <laughs> right. Well, look, I mean, that 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 that, uh, that that finishes the uh, the podcast. So, look, I mean, thank thank you. First of all, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate your time. We know you're really busy. Um, off the back of this, lots of people tried to reach out and stuff. So, is LinkedIn kind of normally is the best way for people to get hold of you? Are you happy for me to reach out to you on LinkedIn and connect yeah. and stuff like that? Absolutely. Listen, I, I, always uh, LinkedIn. I've been very fortunate. I've got a decent 
uh, follow set of followers on LinkedIn as well. So, you know, please do reach out to me on LinkedIn. If I can be of any help to anyone who's inspired by this podcast in there, I'll do my, my best to connect to you. Great. Well, look, that's uh, so thanks a lot again, David. And uh, thanks everyone for listening. There's plenty more coming. So uh, keep listening, subscribing and give us a, a five star rating and, and all that kind of stuff. So uh, look forward to catching up with you again next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Behind the Desk with me, Mark Thomas. If you like the episode, please subscribe, give us a five star rating, like and a comment. And even better, please share with your friends and colleagues. If you'd like to connect with me, you can do so at linkedin.com forward slash Mark Thomas and the number zero. It would be great to hear from you. Equally, if you have any suggestions for future guests or other areas you'd like me to explore, it would be great to hear them too. Behind the Desk is powered by Eames Consulting, part of the Eames Group. You can find out more about us at eamesconsulting.com. Thanks again for listening and I look forward to catching up with you again next time.